Welcome back to A Complete History of Manchester United. I'm Wayne Barton, author and producer of several Manchester United books and films, and I'm joined as always by the legendary Paddy Barclay. And the, I've already said legendary before your name, so I don't know what qualifier to put. Very good former journalist. Very <laughs> good football writer. Um, of course, author of the definitive biography of Sir Matt Busby. There it is. Uh, for those of you who are watching in video, that's the hardback cover of Sir Matt Busby, no, uh, called the definitive biography in... So anyway, plug over, Wayne. Let's get on with what is going to be a fantastic Manchester United season. 1964-65. Yeah. If you're watching the video, please give us a like and subscribe. If you and, and also you can join in the conversation in the comments section. If you're listening on the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe. Give us a review on the platform you're listening on. Please, it really helps us. Um, anyway, yeah, 64-65. But before we... Well, it's not really a diversion from Manchester United. It's actually right about United. <laughs> Sir Stanley Rouse, the FIFA president now. Um, he'd been negotiating for United to travel to Malaysia and Far Eastern mm -hmm. countries for the pre-season tour. <laughs> Uh, but Malaysia were the only country who were willing to meet a £1,000 per match guarantee. So the tour broke down. Um, we, I mean, even then, I mean, United's money spinning trips to the Far East, Paddy, would be, you know, they'd become almost farcical in nature in, in, yeah. in most uh, recent years. But this was part of this sort of um, globe train exercise that Busby had really pioneered with the, these trips to America that we talked about earlier on. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, Busby and Rouse were, went back a long, long way. Uh, I think they first met when Rouse refereed a cup final that, in which uh, Matt played for Man City way, way long before the Second World War. And they'd been, they were very much, they shared an internationalist outlook on the world, which was very much um, at odds or ahead of the views of most club chairmen who thought that the the league began and ended at uh, you know the borders of England and and uh, anyway the um they they worked together on getting Manchester United into that pioneering role of, of of England in Europe European competition and now here again uh, Sir Stanley um, as 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 you know, big wig of the FA and of FIFA by now. He'd been in charge of the 62 World Cup as president. Um, we're, we're working on what, as you rightly say, is now a, a, a natural part of the Manchester United fixture list. You know, some, uh, some uh, huge series of games on the other side of the globe. Uh, but it didn't, it didn't happen, Wayne, no? No, I wonder what they would have made. I mean, considering both of them were such pioneers, I wonder what they would have made of the 39th game. Um, you know, and obviously we'll talk about that. Interesting, Interesting. yes. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, unfortunately, we can't bring them on no, the podcast no, no, no. to discuss it. We can, but speculate. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, United didn't go to Malaysia, but they got a summer trip, um, somewhere less humid, but no less hot, um, late trip in May to face Bilbao and the pre-season should have been a two-match tour of Germany and mm. they were due to play Hamburg and Bayern but the, the friendly against Bayern was cancelled so they rearranged this game um, to face Shamrock Rovers and in that game Paddy, there's a new name in Manchester United's goal Pat Dunn yes uh, they paid he was 21 at the time Pat Dunn he'd obviously given United's excellent scouting in in, um, in in Dublin, going all back to the days of Louis Rocca, and which produced Johnny Carey and so on, uh, the the Dublin scouting uh, had always been good, and here was the latest one. Tony Dunn, with no relation, was already, as we discussed last week, already established in the team at fullback, and the equally young Pat Dunn, uh, twenty-one years old, as 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 I say. Um, it wasn't a record fee for a goalkeeper, but it was that had been set for Harry Gregg. Um, but it was ten and a half thousand, which is a fair fee, especially at, paid to an Irish club who generally tend to do business more easily than than, than fellow English clubs. Um, so it was a lot of money to pay, 
And it was assumed that he was one for the future, given that he was 21. However, so was Dave Gaskell. And Dave had a very poor start to what was generally a brilliant start to United's season. And uh, so Pat Dunn was catapulted into the side after only five games in the reserves and did uh, extremely well. In fact, at one stage, uh, due not only to Pat Dunn's impressive goalkeeping, but to the general gelling of, of United's defensive and, and a key man, probably more important in United's excellent defensive record than, uh, than Pat Dunn, was Nobby Styles, who was, he was himself only 22 at this time, but as the minder for Bill Fawkes, as English football morphed into a back four, the era of the back four. Um, Nobby, of course, was to, was to get great success as a defensive midfielder, but he also, he saw it also as his job to mind the centre half in a back three and a half, if you like. Uh, but the fullbacks were already in place, done on one side, Brennan on the other. And with Styles doing even better than Morissetta's had in protecting, uh, screening Bill Fultz, at one stage, United conceded in the first half of the season, conceded only eight goals in 14 matches, all 13 of which were won and only one drawn. So 27 points out of 28 at one stage. Correct me if I'm wrong, Wayne, my arithmetic's not always infallible. And only eight, <laughs> only eight goals, 36 goals scored um, in those games and only eight conceded. So this is a very well-drilled team. This is a team that has gelled and is going places. Yeah, Camwell only plays a couple of games. You mentioned um, Brennan and Dunn at fullback. Yeah, Camwell only plays a couple of games. Setters a handful. Um, you mentioned Styles, Trerand. I mean, Styles have been out of the side a little bit, and now we, have, like I said, he's coming. He's played a very important role. A lot yeah. of competition of the team changing. Very interesting that you talk about Dunn and, and the goals conceded because that's going to become a big feature of that. United barely kept clean sheets. I'm looking at the records, and, and this has been a little bit facetious, but you look at the, the fixture list this season, and you wonder if there's more clean sheets in this season than in the last sort of 18 combat. Yeah. How many there are? It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah, really it's uh, but you mentioned, yeah, back three and a half styles moving into that. There's a lot more defensive reliability. Also, you know, it's just occurred to me, sorry to wait, Wayne, but it's just occurred to me, of course, you mentioned Creron obviously more famous as a creative player, the feed for the for the great forwards in front of him, but um, also a good tackler. So there's there's real solidity in, in that midfield section as well as great flair. Yeah. Um, the season did start with difficulty with Gaskell in goal. Um, one win in the first six, which really gave no indication of what was to come. But then the, the changes made, the, a little bit more solid, they win mm. six in a row. The last of which, uh, five in a row. Sorry, the last of which of that five win run is at Chelsea. And I mentioned this game because it's a game in which George Best is unbelievable. Um, mm. United win two 0 but like midway through um, the game, Best is in the middle of the pitch and he just hits this back heel out of mm. sheer arrogance. Really, there's no need to do it, but it's like you've never seen anything like it. I think even the entire Chelsea defense. Are, and we're talking, we're not. He's not in um, a very dangerous position. He's sort of like middle of the Chelsea off, and he hits his back heel. It goes out wide to Aston, and he sets up low to score. Best of all, I think he'd already scored earlier in that game. The headlines are all about Best and what he's mm -hmm. done in this game. And I mentioned it in the, the last episode because you're talking about a player who, you know, Best had only just come into the side, really had only played half a season. But when I, you know, while plugging, when I spoke Paddy Crenn for the, the book that I wrote on George, he said, and it was no, you know, Paddy obviously loves Manchester United, but mm -hmm. he's not prone to hyperbole within um yeah. the of it, he wouldn't blow a player out of proportion um in relation to another at United. 
And the way that he spoke about George, it was so stern that, you know, mm. obviously he was saying George was the best already and he'd not even had a year in first yeah. division football. I think um, this is a point that needs to be stressed. That everyone, you know, everyone who studied, who, who takes an interest in football, um, the history of football, knows that George Best's peak was all too short for reasons that we'll discuss in future episodes. What they don't, maybe appreciate was how quickly his peak appeared if you look at uh, other players who basically make the turnstiles whirr just by being on the team sheet uh, if you look at them through history you look at cristiano ronaldo at, at manchester united later you look even at, at, at lionel messi at, at, at barcelona um people who just change the the whole attitude of the fans and make you just sit back and and wonder at what you're seeing on the pitch. You you will know every United fan will know that Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, was called a show pony for a bit and wasn't serious. Was was yeah, he's got great talent and if he could just harness it a bit better. And that went on for two two three years, something like that, before yeah. he became a. Um, an undoubted world great player, and uh, and then you knew you were going to get something special pretty well every game. Likewise with Messi at Bar. Again, when Messi was Barcelona, he came into the team, came out. You knew he was going to be great, but again, it took two years. With George, as you've just said, it was a matter of months before he became oh. I must go and see that Manchester United because that kid best is going to be playing. He really, and, and, and the goal that you've just talked about, the back heel that you've just talked about, one that I suspect you will talk about, which is a lob, uh, uh, is, you know, these were things that were making the nation and particularly the Old Trafford uh, nation gasp. Yeah. Not just clap, but gasp. Yeah, there's a couple of incidents as well of George in the FA Cup run, which I'll bring up in a, in a moment. Another story about George after that win: 13 wins out of 14, um, includes a, a 7-0 win over Villa, 2-0 yeah. win at Anfield, 3-2 win at uh, Arsenal. Yeah, um, the run ends with a 1-0 home defeat to Leeds. I mention it because Willie Anderson um, says a great story about George Best. He had such a kick in in the first half. Mm. They came off two or three minutes before half time with tears in his eyes. Mm -hmm. they, they weren't going to put him back on the pitch because he'd been kicked so violently. He had bruises all over him. Um, but yeah, Anderson said he had uh, tears in his eyes. So everyone was expecting United would be down to 10 men in the second half. But George yeah. went out. Um, he still got a kick in. But he <laughs> went out and played the second half. And that was the first time Anderson. Um, I mean, he'd gone through this youth system with him. He'd seen George at yeah. first hand. That's the first time George, he really noticed that George is saying, it doesn't matter what you do to me. You can kick me. I'm still going to come back yeah. here. Remarkable bravery for a kid yeah. who was so uh, small. Very, very, very brave uh, player. Of course, the greats, the greats tend to be. You know, Maradona was a very great, a brave player. Messi, irrepressible. Um, perhaps not as good at George is dishing it back out again, as you know, because George did get to the stage where he's um, where he would uh, he would have a go back. Not not as in the period we're talking about. His bravery then was simply, you know, pure courage rather than aggression. Um, but yeah, you're quite right. He made it very very clear that he wasn't going to be kicked out of his game yeah. by anybody. And so in that in the era we're talking about that required more courage even than it does now yeah uh, well it, because refereeing was much more um linear yeah so as we journey through the series we're going to see rule changes and how that actually impacts George's yeah. form funnily yes. enough yeah um again sticking with the theme of george what we'll do is in this episode maybe we'll talk about the league first and then we'll do the, the cup runs after um that so we'll we'll just Continue the league over Christmas, so they had a sticky form, sticky run of form over Christmas again, like like the start of the season. But then they have this strong conclusion where they're securing not only a good run of wins, but some massive results and performances as well. And this is this is really 
Busby at his best, which is yeah. his false type. The fact that he's created another team that has the bravery to take on all the top teams and play football in the way that he'd always wanted them to play. And they were picking up yeah. the results and they were winning. There's yeah. a, a win over Chelsea, um, a 4-0 win, which starts, as you mentioned, with this George Best goal. He's harassing Eddie McCready. He's harassing him for the ball. And this is a fullback. He's, he doesn't know what to do. Everyone must have seen this goal. If you've seen anything about George Best, you must have seen this goal. Greedy's mm. in the right back position. He's terrified. You've never seen anything like it. A right back is terrified of the winger challenging him for the ball. Best robs him of it with the you know ferociousness of a Roy Keane or a Paddy Crerin. Yeah. He robs the ball. Brunetti, when you look back at the footage, Brunetti's not even that far off his line. He oh, no. comes out a little. But he's, he's thinking, no, I, I'll just be I'll be a little bit cautious here. Oh, he, was, he was well positioned, the goalkeeper. Yeah, and George is on the sort of left-hand side. He darts in a little. He, I, I don't know where he's seen the space because nobody else can see it, but he lofts the ball over Benetti into the far corner. It's mm. outrageous what he's mm. done. Um, How many times do you see footballers um, that they can do everything, but it's the finishing where the pressure is on? You look at that finish by George Best and you wouldn't, you would think he was playing with some cones alone on a public park with nobody watching. He was yeah. ice cold. There was nothing else mattered. Mm. He, just didn't, he just didn't recognise pressure, the performance pressure, George. Yeah, Benetti might as well not have been in the goal. The way that he's hit it. And, and you can't blame the keeper. He was in exactly the right position. And you're quite right. They may as well not have had a keeper. Yeah. It, it, honestly, if you haven't seen it, it is at that point in in Old Trafford history, you're going like sort of 60 years of Old Trafford history. That mm. must have been probably the most outrageous goal seen at the stadium. The way yeah. in which he takes the goal. Because so, I mean, we've been talking about great goals and you know the the thud of the leather. Like yeah. from Duncan Edwards or Bobby Charlton smashing them into the net, but nothing well, like it. In later years, Rooney volleys and, and overhead kicks and all that. But for sheer artistry, for the yeah. wow factor, everything has to be measured against that one. Yeah. Even some of Ronaldo's trademark self-invented free kicks. Yeah, you know, would would struggle to compete with that as 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 the most wow goal ever scored. Yeah, adult traffic. Um, United gone to win four nil. Um, the other scorers in that game, um, David Erd scores a couple. Dennis Law, um, obviously Dennis Law scoring all the time again. I'm just going to read the match report of well, that game. Wait, before you do, when was that game? Uh, the game is played 13th of March. Because. <laughs> No wonder Dennis is back in goal scoring form because he, he got suspended just before Christmas like he usually did. <laughs> so he went back to Aberdeen for his Christmas holiday. It was Dennis invented the mid-season break. Did you know that? <laughs> he got sent off for swearing at a referee. And um and he got he was fearing six weeks, but he told a little porky pie about um, what he'd called the referee. He, he called him a, 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 he claimed at the disciplinary hearing that he called the referee a silly coot. Um, well, it, the, the word he actually used did begin with C, but uh, it was a different word. But the disciplinary committee had enough doubt in their minds to give him 28 days instead of the expected six weeks. Yeah, United's skullduggery in front of the suspension committees. Would, and Matt uh... Busby colluded in it. In fact, he drove... Uh, Dennis Law and his chief witness for the defence, Paddy Crerand, <laughs> he drove them over the Pennines to the um, uh, to the hearing in Sheffield. And by the way, just as an aside, uh, uh, Dennis and and Paddy Crerand, many years later, used to laugh about that journey because Sir Matt was apparently the worst, not the fastest, but the worst driver. In, in the whole of Manchester, in fact, possibly in the whole of England. <laughs> and he uh, drove the car over to Sheffield. And the boys told me that they had their eyes closed all the way all the way there and all the way back. Anyway, <laughs> carry on. No, the nature of it all um, will be familiar when we get to 
there's another incident with George Best where they, they pull the wool over the, the committee's eyes um, in similarly farcical fashion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you just couldn't imagine it happening. It's like a carry-on sketch. But yeah, yeah. Um, the, the People's Match Report of the Chelsea win. Um, genius, it seems, still will not mat- answer to numbers. Know the sort of genius personified by Low, Best, Charlton and company. Mm. Soccer purveyors extraordinary of Manchester United. To say Chelsea were outwitted, outmatched, outfought is to put it mildly. They were outclassed. Mm. Men they could never mark. Those United players always had, always seem to have a trick too many up their sleeves. Caused as much confusion among the Chelsea numbers brigade as a mm. stuttering call would at a bingo session. Mm. Um, two days later, Fulham travelled to Old Trafford. And they're expected to get massacred, basically. United, uh, they could have... And United didn't let anyone down, only scoring four. But the match report said that they could have scored a dozen in the first half alone. Yeah. There was five corners in the first six minutes. And even in that first five minutes, Fulham found time to score themselves. Um, but United came back and, and won. They won at well, least. It's, it's good that you found those cuttings because... Uh, they, they they do bring back. Uh, I, I can just just about remember that era, and they bring back very much the sense that just as in earlier episodes we we talked about um, the great Donny Davis and, and, and George follows the journalists of the time suddenly realizing that the Busby Babes were materializing in front of their eyes and writing so lyrically about it. This was the journalists of the next generation spotting the law best Charlton factor, the glamour factor at Old Trafford, the beauty, the appeal to the imagination. And all of that is in those uh, those reports you just read. Well, this one, um, while we're plugging, this one isn't going to be my book, but um, these match reports from this season are taken from this book, which is Champions Again by Ralph Finn. Um, this kind of book is pretty hard to, to come by these days, but the, the reports from this season are in that mm-hmm. book. They're, they're, not all of them, but there are some really good ones in there. And like I said, sports yeah. writing um, still great. Um, yeah, you know, smash Fulham, looking like they, they win the title. They go to, to win, uh, they go to Leeds and win. They win 3 0 against Liverpool. Um, in a ferocious game where, uh, ferocious not in terms of battling, but the way that United are dogging out there, they really want this win. Sam Leach of the the Sunday Mirror says, I've not seen such a fierce will to win from an English side since the Spurs' heyday of 1960. And it's interesting that because it it does evoke those earlier days of when we talked about Jimmy Murphy being relentless with the kids, you know, like saying, you know, Nantwich Town in the Youth Cup and they've got to keep persevering. Now there's a nucleus of these young lads in the side again and the attitude is back in the same way. Uh, I don't think that's a coincidence at all. No, no. Styles, Crerant, Law. These are, I was going to say, these are not gentlemen. Uh, uh, on the field, these are these are people who, um, you know, were ruthless, were ferocious, um, and of course George the same, um, who would fight fire with fire. In fact, they would start a fire. Um, and there they are. Um, one thing we haven't mentioned yet, actually, we did mention it towards the end of the last episode. Um, the picture that's up on the screen now shows uh, an unfamiliar face in the position usually um, adopted in team photographs by the right winger. This was John Connelly, who, as we mentioned in the last episode, uh, Busby had raised a lot of money by selling players who weren't going to come to the reach the standard that, that Manchester United required. And uh, John Connelly, who definitely was, where he'd been a key member of Burnley's title-winning side, uh, a fantastic two-footed goal-scoring winger, um, and he'd come for £56,000 um, and was an instant hit. In fact, uh, he and Best, contrasting wingers, uh, were really fundamental to the, the style of this new United. Interesting to note that um, at this time, Nobby Styles was promoted to the this, during this season, was promoted to the full England team by Sir Alf Ramsey. And Sir Alf Ramsey and Matt fundamentally disagreed on, on the philosophy of football. 
Um, Ramsey identified that wingers were a dying breed. Busby refused to accept that. And indeed, so ingrained was this philosophy, not only into his mind, but into the bricks and mortar of Old Trafford, that the great Sir Alex Ferguson uh, pursued the same thing throughout his career. Um, uh, so, but here's an example of it. As the coaching fraternity are beginning to wonder, you know, are wingers really, Matt Busby said, I don't care what you say. And and there were Connelly, he paid 56 for Connelly and, uh, and, and George Best, there were his wingers. Bad news, by the way, for Ian Moyer, who we've mentioned in recent episodes, he was to be uh, sold to Blackpool for a very useful £30,000. Uh, and for the Willie Anderson, who you mentioned a few times, um, these two, um, because of the success of the Connelly Best axis, if you like, um, all of these had become peripheral and, and were no longer to play much part in Manchester United's future. But again, um while they while they weren't and it shows the the sort of returning health of the youth system which has struggled for a couple of years because of what happened with munich so now jimmy's back in place doing the work with the yeah, and united were champions of of uh of youth football that regained the fa youth cup and of or did, or where they was it in the 64 where they were that's right now in that team eight players um of that youth team went on to to, to get into the first team I, I put them down uh uh on my list obviously george best was one david sadler who we, we paid tribute to his early career um in previous episodes um those those were two of them bobby noble the magnificent talent uh fullback could play right back or left back but would have been probably England's left back for 10 years, according to David Sadler's re reflections later. Um, but for misfortune, he was in that team. John Aston Jr. was in the team. Jimmy Ryan, another winger, uh, was in, and friend of George Best, was in the team. Um, the, uh, the, I'm just trying to see my list. Have I missed anybody out? There's one that you um, are going to refer to at some stage who probably didn't become as famous as most of the others, and that was Albert Kim Kinsey. Ben, you, you, you'll be describing him at some stage in this episode, I'm sure. Oh, the others, and also you're going to, I bet you have a word to say about John Fitzpatrick, another member of that team, uh, and also the goalkeeper Jimmy Rimmer, who's to go on and have a very good career too. Eight of them, so eight out of that team got into the Manchester United first team. No wonder everybody agreed this was the best youth team since the Busby days. Yeah, spoke for itself. Um, and influenced by that, United cruised almost to the league title. I said relatively cruised. It, the, the game which decided it was against Arsenal, not mathematically um, because of the the goal average situation which we'll talk about in a moment but um yeah. united were aggressive again against arsenal and, and won three one on the day um an emotional yeah, they, day. they didn't uh yeah they didn't think that they at one stage it didn't look like they were going to need to win um because uh, the only other team that could have won it was leeds now yeah. with johnny giles and doing very very well uh, albeit maybe a little bit rough in their tactics, but um, they they were to reach the FA Cup final this season. And in fact, a lot of people thought that the fact that Leeds had beaten United in the semis, I think, yeah. well, incorrect me if I'm wrong there. Yeah. And um, because of that, United faced teams, including that Liverpool one, uh, who was sort of had half a, an eye. I don't know why I'm touching my ear because it's I meant to touch my eye. They had half an eye on the cup final, maybe an ear on on, on the crowd. But the the, the they it, it helped United. Leeds were three 0 down at Birmingham on this on the on the night that Old Trafford were 
was watching the, the, the Arsenal game. Leeds were three down. So if that got through on the old transistor radios, United could have relaxed. They didn't. Best scored the first, I think. Yeah. Um, Law then got two. Law now regal in, in his in his mastery of the striker's art. Um, and that was it. Old Trafford could celebrate. And you said, as you said, a very emotional night, Wayne. Yeah, um, if you're watching on the video, then you're seeing the the um, celebrations of the title of Bill Folks and handing the, the well holding the trophy in front of some of his colleagues. There. Yeah, um, Di Stefano and Puskas were in attendance at Old Trafford, Paddy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Busby was greeted by them, uh, and he he made an emotional um, comment to the press after the game. He said. In this moment, I remember those dark days. I remember the boys who played so brilliantly for us. It looks yeah. like conquering the world. Now we have risen from the depths and are right back where Manchester United belong. The boys who were at Munich would have been really proud of them on this memorable night. Um, really, obviously, poignant comments. But you had like the likes of George Best. Who, yes, obviously, at, at, the, at the moment where a few people like Busby would have been looking back and paying tribute. You had best say, no, it's always been my ambition to play in the European Cup. So they're already looking mm -hmm. forward to a few of these players as, as well. They should. Um, yeah. Another picture from the celebrations. Um, you can see that the, that's Matt Busby tipping a bottle of champagne. And it's worth it just for the caption alone, which I'm going to read to you. It says, Matt Busby pours champagne for Pat Crerand, Pat Dunn, Shea Brennan, Dennis Lowe, John Canelli, and David Hurd. George Best, George Best, right? Had lemonade. <laughs> um, well, well, he was to he was to change his habits as the years went by, but it, um, uh, and become a famous imbiber of champagne and among other things. But at that time, he, he Jimmy Ryan, who was his friend, um, you know, recalled that that basically George would have a small bottle of beer and really probably only drink half of it over the course of an evening out. Uh, in fact, that was one of the things that drew Jimmy and, and, and George together. They, they were both, they didn't really have much of a taste for alcohol at that time. Interesting. So he, George said, no, thanks. I don't, I won't have that. I'll, I'll have a glass of lemonade instead. Yeah, that's, that's great. But he was about a, a very much a fundamental part of why they were the rest of the boys were drinking champagne. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, United win the sixth <laughs> league title because the the win over Arsenal means that as long as they avoid a nineteen nil defeat at Villa Park in the final league game, they'll be champions. They actually lose two one, but it's mm. inconsequential in the end. And um, really, <laughs> the point well inconsequential because it, other than it would have made the defensive record look even better than this because we've yeah. talked about conceding 70 goals 80 goals in a league campaign 60 yeah, goals something right. like that this time round 39 goals conceded which is obviously miserly in comparison to the other less league. than a less than a goal a game yeah and and many clean sheets in there as well especially yeah. considering the rocky start where where they shipped a lot of goals in the first four five six games um yeah they become close to getting into two cup finals as well. Again, they're not in the League Cup, but they, they're in the FA Cup. Um, they get to semi-final, as Paddy said, yeah. uh, being eliminated to Leeds after a, it was a replay, but obviously very um, violent yeah. <laughs> in a couple of games. But the, earlier in the cup run, it's still eventful. Um, some really um, memorable moments with George Best against Burnley in, mm -hmm. the, in the fifth round. United are a goal down. There's 10 minutes left. George Best's boot comes off and he's mm. trying to get it back on, but he's struggling and the play's going on. It's frenetic. Old Trafford is demanding a late winner. So George is like, I can't put it on. I'm just going to have to keep playing without it. So he's carrying the boot in his left hand. He runs to... <laughs> he, someone passes him the ball. He runs to the box, sets up a goal for Dennis Lowe. You're thinking, oh, that's great. That's brilliant. We'll, we'll keep playing. Um, I, I, apparently the ball... Um, yeah. He crosses it, it's a defender, flies up in the air, Dennis Law, an acrobatic overhead kick, and flies in. Best thinking, I can't get the boot back on, throws it to the crowd, thinking I'll just get rid of it. 
the crowd, well-meaning as they are, throw it back. <laughs> but he's still playing with the boot in his hand. Play kicks off. The ball comes again to Best, who sets up another goal, this time for Paddy Perrin. <laughs> this is an incredible story because apparently the referee shouldn't have allowed him to play on. So that instead of marvelling at the incredible genius of what they've witnessed, everyone was calling calling out the referee afterwards. And he was saying, oh, well, I wasn't quite sure what the rule was. I was telling him to get it back on. But, you know, the play was moving so fast that I couldn't do anything about it. Um, but I didn't know. I, I must admit, I didn't know that that you it, it it it's against the laws of the game to play without boots. I had no idea. <clears throat> and that in itself is a story that would be good enough for a season, but not with George Best. There's another one yeah. in the yeah. FA. It's incredible, and you feel sorry because it's the kind of this is the kind of contribution that you think destiny is going to reward him with the cup final. But it, and it really should have done. Um, as you mentioned, mentioned uh, Jimmy Ryan and George Best, best of pals. On the morning of a trip to Wolves in the FA Cup, Jimmy Ryan wants some comp tickets. And, you know, he, George says he can have his. So he says, but meet me at the cliff to get him. And then we'll, you know, we'll travel down after. So when he goes to see George at the cliff, George is training by himself. And what he's doing is he's he's on the corner and he's just kicking the ball into the net. He's trying to curve it from the corner into the net. Mm. And Jim's watching him and he's like, "What? What is he doing? What is he coming up with next? You know, mm. what? Why is he doing this? You can never do it in a game." And then they got to Molyneux. It's a you know the heat of a cup a cup game. Um, mm. Obviously, Wolves, big rivals of United over the years. It's a yeah. massive atmosphere at Molyneux. Uh-huh. Heat of the battle. And in fact, by the way, we should mention George's previous inspiration. He'd watch those old Wolves games that we've talked about, you know, mm. the um, the Wolves where they played Honved in the yeah, yeah. European friendlies. And when they'd had the games on television, the commentators yeah. were speaking about the gold shirts that Wolves were wearing. So yes. he was enamoured by this and the idea of playing against European football. So Wolves were quite close to George Best. And now he was <laughs> finally playing at Molyneux at this stage. He goes over to take a corner. Jim Ryan says, I can't believe what I'm watching. He's watching the same thing now again. Um, George takes the corner, goes to the near post and gets it in the near post. Um, <laughs> so, so good, in fact, that so the Pathé News clip that picks it up, they've yeah. got him taking the corner, but they missed... Um, I'm, I'm just checking the, the score here because, no, he doesn't... The, the Pathé News clip makes it look like George Best is running onto George Best's corner to, to finish it. <laughs> yes. It's ridiculous, but he, he scored direct from the corner. Um, yeah, and jo- Jim Ryan couldn't believe what he was watching. He was literally watching what he'd seen in the morning take um, place on the, the evening. This is the kind but, of ingenuity. That's, that's what we were saying before. George didn't wasn't was impervious to pressure. Crowd yeah. pressure, personal pressure. He was impervious to that. Yeah. And, and he, he was literally telling the his teammates that he would try these new things. He was telling yeah. them that, oh, I'm going to try something new. And they were like, oh, all right, whatever. I don't think Jim would have believed, if he had not been there to witness it himself, that George had been trying it that morning. He would have probably just yeah. thought it was a fluke. And yeah. that's the level of the genius that he had, that he would know he was planning it and he did it. Um, this is execution was just extreme um yeah but yeah unfortunately the magic doesn't make it all to all the way to wembley united are eliminated to leeds and then it's the same story in the intercities i'll give you another little vignette from the uh, from the replay <clears throat> imagine that for a moment that you're bobby charlton and the game is a rough one you're quite right it's probably the beginnings of, of Leeds and Manchester United have, being almost unable to play a civilised game of football, either on and or off the field. <clears throat> and so you're Bobby Charlton and all sorts of mayhem's going on. And suddenly a brawl starts up between your brother, Jack, and your teammate, Dennis Law. So, whose side are you on? Do you feel, do you hope your brother wins it or your teammate? I think probably football being football, he'd be on Dennis's side against Jack. But 
that was that was that was one one wonderful image from that game of of uh, Dennis and Jack Charlton at each other's throats. Um, yeah, United eliminated in, in the replay. Also takes a semi-final replay to knock them out of the Intercities Fairs Cup where they got to Ferenc Kvaras. Um You know, United wanting to impress in Europe after, you know, the embarrassment of sport in Lisbon in the yeah. previous season. But they're at least softened by the blow that they'll be competing in the European Cup in the following season. Yeah. So, yeah, um, sixth league was- title for United. Yeah, it was it was interesting that just to dwell briefly, if I may, on the Ferenc Varas match. It went to three matches. Yeah. Ferenc Varas won the toss for the third game. This is the final of the first cup, the forerunner of the Europa League, and um, so Ferenc Varas won the toss, so that they had advantage in the third game, and they won it, but won. A feature, you know, vital to Manchester United's history off the field was that the chairman who'd been through so much with Matt, Harold Hardman, now 83, had died. And um, he'd been taken over, uh, it, the, the chairmanship had been taken over by Louis Edwards, who himself had very quietly and cleverly bought his way into a majority position on the United board by buying the shares of Alan Gibson, son of James Gibson, the, the very, very significant chairman of the past. Um, so w- it was now a new era off the pitch as well as as well as a developing era, uh, as, as well as a great team um, appearing on the field. Yeah, um, let's go through the squads then. Um, Pat Dunn, these are the new players that are in. Um, so Pat Dunn, obviously, um, the goalkeeper, we've already spoke about him. Previously, he'd been with Everton. He'd even had a trial at United prior to that. It was deemed that he wasn't tall enough. Remember mm-hmm. that we talked about the height of goalkeepers. Yeah. It's now becoming an important thing. Um, Pat Dunn had one arm shorter than the other. Um, <laughs> but just the, the little things that you pick up when you're looking back at United history. Yeah. He did show a lot of promise, and, and Busby was only too happy to go back and admit that he'd made an error, a rare error in, in not identifying this player in the first place and signed for £10,500 and added the stability that um, Gaskell, unfortunately, did not. Um, Gaskell... But, but what a first season in England. Yeah, when Amazing. Um, 55 appearances for Dunn, 37 in the league. Gaskell made five league appearances, as you already mentioned, Paddy. Um, Shea Brennan now... Established at right back, 60 appearances every single game, 42 in the league. Tony Dunn on the other side, 60 appearances, 42 in the league. They're just there all the time. Oh Bill Folks in the back line, 60 appearances, 42 in the league. Every single game. That back doesn't, line doesn't stability help, eh? Well, he certainly did for Manchester United. Um, this season, Nobby Styles, when we get to him, 59 games, 41 in the league. Um, yep. so yeah, that's the, the three and a half. That you mentioned there, Noel Campbell, just two appearances and one goal in the league before before he was moved on. Um, yeah. I mentioned Bill Folks already. Maurice Setters, just five appearances and it was five in the league, six in all competitions. And um, yeah, that brings us on to oh Pat Kerrin as well. Can't forget Pat. Um, five in fifty-seven in all competitions, three in thirty-nine in the league. Mm-hmm. So the only three games he missed were in in the league. That brings us on to John Fitzpatrick, a wing half, wing half, half back, mm. full back, midfielder. He played in multiple yeah. positions for United uh, from Aberdeen. One little story he's got in common with Ruud van Nistelrooy. He was due to sign for Manchester United, but he was due, he agreed to play one last game for his lads' club, and yeah. um, in that game he broke his leg and yeah. he delayed his arrival. Um, United were still good on signing him, and you know they agreed to that just a little bit later in the summer of 1962. Yeah, yeah. he really did fit in with that group of young lads, the <laughs> likes of Willie Anderson and George Best. Yes, they were, they were athletic, they were combative, they all pushed each other on. They were they're all a great um, group of lads, and he was nice. obviously very hugely popular as well. Very funny guy, um, John Fitzpatrick, part of that youth cup winning team, and with Setters and Camwell on the way out. Um, it was a huge show of faith in Fitzpatrick, actually, that he was the one who got these... Well, he played how many games have I got? Two, Just two games this season. But yeah. 
he was the but, one next in line. Bear, bear in mind, he'd been in the youth team that won the youth cup. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, but, but you know, you mentioned that his misfortune uh, he had that delayed his signing for United. Uh, he, he was to be, oh God, he was an aggressive player, but um, he took as much as he gave, unfortunately. And it was his career, I think, if you was was definitely affected by by an injury proneness yeah they, they would I'm, I'm not comparing john to brian robson but one thing that some people have often told me about brian robson is he was so good that he sometimes went into challenges you wouldn't want him to go into yeah just through the point and i think that's some sort of similar to john fitzpatrick yeah maybe, maybe he got um not carried away or influenced by but that you know you've seen Kreren, you've seen low give as good as they get on the pitch you're yeah. obviously going to be influenced by that well it, it, there must have been something in the uh the sierra aberdeen uh, when john and dennis were growing john and dennis law were growing up in that city uh because they were both as fiery um and and dare i say it, rash uh, as each other yeah, I don't know where the the story will come into, so I'll, I'll just drop a small anecdote about John. Um, I was lucky enough again to interview him for the book I wrote on George, mm-hmm. and he passed nice away guy. a few months after that. And um, I talked about it on, on social media about um, John, and I wrote a, a small thing that I published on, on my website about mm-hmm. his career yeah. and how you know he deserves a little bit more credit. We'll talk about his unique place in United history in future episodes as well, and. Um, his family actually got in touch and asked if they could read what I'd written out at his funeral. And um, it's honestly one of the strangest honours that you can have, you know, as, as someone who writes and follows United to have something like that. And so, and he, he was... There is, there is no better tribute than that his family wanted you wanted it to be read out. That It, it really is uh, a huge privilege. No, it, it really, really was. And he offers well, a lot of these players as you know we won't really be talking about because we're talking about them as players in their playing days but a lot of them suffered from dementia and alzheimer's and john was actually one of those um when when i talked to him he was in complete lucidity he had a moment he had a day where he was really good and his memories yeah. of georgian obviously i was talking to him about georgian the youth team and yes. he, he provided some of the best stories he was absolutely unbelievable and um yeah, yeah, a massive he, character. He was he was a massive character. Jimmy I don't know if we have time now to for me to tell it, but Jimmy Ryan tells some wonderful stories about John Fitzpatrick. And of a I don't know if it, was, it must have been around this time. Uh maybe now isn't the time, but um it must have been around this time that United went to America. Was it in the, the next season? It could well be we're discussing. And Basically, Fitzpatrick wound Jimmy Ryan up and said, look, we need, I've heard that the first team lads are getting huge expenses on this tour and and we ought to go and see Busby and we've played for the first team. Why can't, why can't we get uh, more expenses, you know? So Jimmy doesn't really fancy going in to demand more money from Busby as well as respecting him they were scared stiff of him so but but John Fitzpatrick keeps winding up winding him up and eventually they knock on Busby's hotel room in in America they've just arrived and Busby comes to the door in a dressing gown and he says Bobby's boys, boys come in we want a word and uh, John Fitzpatrick says uh, says yeah we want a word and then nods to Jimmy Ryan <laughs> <laughs> expecting him to do it and of course jim thought that fitzpatrick saying yeah we, we're just going to tell the boss what what's what you know we deserve this money and suddenly he's <laughs> to do it so he starts stumbling and bumbling and eventually Buffy tells him not to be so stupid and get out of his sight <laughs> but that was you know that was fitzpatrick he was uh you know a real he was a character you know and um and yeah. Jim, Jim was was very very fond of him. Uh, it's another very close friend of Jimmy Ryan, and as indeed all of those youth team boys were. There was a wonderful atmosphere among them. They all, John Aston Junior. They all 
speak so fondly of those those happy times um, as they graduated from the youth towards the first team. Yeah, um, George Best, fourteen goals in fifty nine appearances, ten in forty one in the league. I think we probably waxed lyrical about all fourteen of them in this episode. Um, yeah. Bobby Charlton, eighteen goals in fifty nine, ten in forty one in the league, just like George. Um, David Hurd, 28 in 55, 20 in 37 in the league. We already talked about John Canelli earlier in the episode. Obviously, he'd been a major part, as Paddy said, of Burnley's title success in 1960. He had actually had doubts about his future in the games, severe enough that he applied for a job as a joiner when he was a teenager and was taking the apprenticeship before um, he was offered a career at Burnley. Uh, at United, he struck up an instant rapport with Bobby Charlton playing on the left-hand side of the pitch. He actually described Charlton as the best player he'd ever played with. Mm-hmm. Um, must be really had stumbled on a bit of gold here with, um, with Canelli. You know, he was a little bit different in style to best. Um, yeah. Everyone was. Um, but he shared that appetite to work hard and retrieve the ball. So when you've got Charlton and Lowe, who were like, Charlton had the desire to find space, Lowe had this inclination to drop deep. And best would go everywhere. United yeah. had this multifaceted front line who would drift around, but in Canelli and Best, they would also work hard to retrieve the ball. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was a really massive um, bit of gold here that Busby had stumbled on, and this dynamic in the front, um, front line. Canelli played every game this season 60 games, 20 goals, 15 in 42 in the league, a massive um, contribution to the league title. John Aston Jr., um, son of senior, of course, we talked about him in the previous episode, a left winger, left footed, um, back up for Canelli, basically. So he only played one single game this season. Mm-hmm. And um, another Youth Cup winner who will, um, I'm sure, be someone that we talk about significantly in the future. Um, Aston, um, yeah, um, fantastic youth. Um, brings yeah. on to the other folks, Ian Moyer, you already mentioned him one single appearance before he's moved on this season. And David Sadler, one goal in six games in the league. Um, yes, less of a contribution this season than his breakthrough season. One also, <laughs> one single appearance for Albert Kinsley. Kinsley, how many players can you say have played for Manchester United and have scored as many goals as they played games? Mm. I looked through the records and I think Albert Kinsey is the only one. So he's got a 100% goal scoring record. And every time he scored, Paddy, it was a match mm. winner as well. <laughs> the only thing yeah. is, it was the one game. <laughs> the yeah. game but that Chester. is the, yeah, that's a, that is a record that would be, it'll take some beating. <laughs> I don't, well, I don't think it will be. So it will never be beaten unless in present day someone someone does that. But that's um, yeah, remarkable. Um, but it's his own little place in history. Um, Liverpool mm-hmm. born forward brings us on to the tactics. Um, you mentioned you already mentioned there that it's a three and a half with Styles dropping back now. Um, Bobby Charlton probably dropping back to to provide a little bit of stability in in midfield as well with Crerin the metronome making everything work in there. And yeah, front line that just moves everywhere by itself. Heard probably the most static, and everyone else just plays everywhere. Yes, yes. yes. Funnily enough, we haven't mentioned Heard, but somebody had to had to do a had to do a job for the team, and 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 yes, he was m- m- less of a Roma than the others were. Law would often slot in behind him. So, as although you you wouldn't exactly say it, it replicates Brazil's four two four. Um, it's definitely, you know, heading in that direction. Um, mm. And of course, thereby taking on the frame of the football that we were to know between, I don't know, 1960, late 1960s and and almost to the present day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the United review is still the same with the handshake on the front, and we're still not sure which hand is shaking which. The mm-hmm. attendance dropped slightly to 44,886. Dennis Lowe, by the way, maybe I didn't talk about Dennis Lowe because why Why <laughs> wouldn't I? 39 goals in 52 games, 28 wow. in 36. So 46 in the previous season, 39 in this one. It's ridiculous. Stop yes. scoring, Dennis. It's too many. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
United's colours, red, white and red socks as they were in the previous episode, all mm-hmm. white away strip with the red socks and a third strip for the first time in United history. Those those Edwards bringing in the commercial changes, <laughs> yeah. although they weren't, they weren't yet for sale, these kids. Uh, they, they wore a blue shirt with white shorts and socks. Um, yeah. Funnily enough, it's a I think one of the first outings of it was the, the picture that was taken for the, the cover of um, True Genius, you know, with John yeah. Best on the front. Um, yep. First outings of that blue kit. Um, oh, my little... you're, you're shameless, Wayne. Imagine getting in a plug like that. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I've dropped about three in since you started. I'm, I'm, I'm like wildfire going everywhere with them. Um, Notwithstanding the the library that I've got behind my shoulder as well, and, mm-hmm. and um, oh, yeah, so we did, we did we did notice, yeah, go. On. Uh, the key results they they achieved the double <laughs> over Liverpool and Arsenal, but mm-hmm. I think the Chelsea results really are the with the league defining win over Arsenal at the end because obviously mm-hmm. that's the one that delivers the league title. But the the way in which they played against Chelsea and the way in which the Chelsea United game was about to become a glamour fixture in spite of the fact that Chelsea had some hard men in the team. One of the glamour fixtures in football, um, the way that United had approached both of those games was um, yeah. was incredible. Um, yeah. Elsewhere in football, um, Busby had predicted that Leeds would win the FA Cup because of how, how well they'd pushed United in the league, but Liverpool mm. actually won the final for the first time ever. Chelsea won the League Cup. Newcastle were promoted to the first division. West Ham, um, a European trophy at Wembley yeah, um, yeah. when the European Cup Winners' Cup. Um, we'll talk about some departures now, names that we mentioned before. Stanley Matthews, who, who was his prime in the first years of this entire series, uh, finally retires at the age of 50 years and five days. And uh, pr- probably a more significant departure to the narrative of this series, Paddy, was Stan Collis, who was um, left his job in September at Wolves. Yes. I mean, this... Obviously, it was a terrible blow for, for Cullis. Um, and it also hit Busby hard because, you know, a, he was a wartime friend of Cullis's. They were great uh, rivals. Busby had won, uh, you know, in terms of their um, r- rivalry, Busby had just won his fourth title. Cullis was on three. It's the first time, I think, Probably that Busby had been ahead of Cullis in the series of in this heavyweight managerial contest, and but because they were such good such friends, the loss of 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 Cullis, uh, sacking hit Busby hard, and he wrote a, a what in in terms of Busby's language was was a very strong letter in which he said it it's not my faith in human nature it's you've given your life blood for this club and this is what they this is how they repay you and they were friends and uh Cullis was never to get a chance again to to box at the heavyweight level with busby because although he later did make a return to management with birmingham city it was not comparable with what he built at wolves and um just to to show about the the, the sort of uh, the, the friendship uh, it, towards the top of the division um, two fellow Scots were among Busby's rival now. Um, we've mentioned Bill Shankly last uh, is, is, is at Liverpool. Um, and um, also Tommy Doherty. We, we talked about, you know, beating Chelsea was quite a thing. That was because Tommy Doherty built a wonderful young team. So they were people that uh, that Busby knew. And... Um, and also um, uh, another of his wartime friends, Joe Mercer, unfortunately hadn't done all that well, had lost his job at Aston Villa during the season. But guess what? He got another job. And in fact, it enabled him to move into the house just round from the Busbys in Charlton-cum-Hardy, Manchester, because the new manager of Manchester City was Joe Mercer. Yeah, Scottish influence, um, yeah. certainly, and Joe coming along there as well. Um, Inter Milan won the European Cup against Benfica. Inter, we talked about tactics earlier on and the evolution of that. Inter were deploying their brand of Catanasio, which was um, a very defensive brand of football, um, yeah. playing with three defenders and well, more than 3.5, like mm. 4.5. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And uh, finally, the um, match of the day was first broadcast as well in this season, August 1964, right at the start of it. I think Liverpool and Arsenal was a game shown on that. Yeah. 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 If, if you're watching this video, then please give it a like and subscribe. Join in the conversation in the comment section. If you're listening to the audio podcast, please be sure to give uh, to subscribe and listen and give us a review on the platform you're listening on. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time.